Hello, and thank you for listening to the Green Room Podcast, a podcast where I talk to my friends about things they are passionate about. Check me out at facebook.com slash greenroompodcast. That's green with an E at the end. Or you can email me at greenroom at gmail.com. In this episode, my friend Jen and I will be talking about horseback riding. We talk about how it came about, what some of the different types are, and what you should do if you come across a horse in the wild. As always, enjoy the show. Jennifer, and welcome to the Green Room Podcast. Hey there, how are you? I'm doing good. Um, how do we know each other? I'll tell you, I was just thinking about this the other day. We met back in the heyday of swing dance popularity. At least, right. you know, around these parts. I think it must have been about 15 years ago. Don't you think? Um, I haven't been doing it for 15 years, but that probably was the heyday. I started in 2011, so that was 11 years ago. Okay, so like 10 years, yeah. Yeah. And you, I remember that you were one of my swing dancing idols in the uh, Houston Swing Dance Society, so I always looked up to you. I was one of your idols? Oh, yeah. You guys were so great, and I just loved watching you guys dance. Weren't weren't you a teacher at some point? Oh, yeah, like I taught intro beginners. Class? Yeah, I taught beginning swing and Lindy Hop. Um but you guys were so polished. Like, we loved watching you. <laughs> That's just kind of funny because I remember, I don't think you were one of my first, I don't think you were my first teacher, but you were one of the first ones that was there for a little bit. Um, yeah. And then I went off with Robin, who also was on this podcast. Yeah. And her and Jerry, her partner, um, like gave me a crash course because they really needed a, a body for a choreography they were working <laughs> on. And so honestly, in that crash course, it was like one or two, maybe three days of constant swing the whole time, yeah. hours and hours. And like, I learned so much just in that time. I think we call that immersion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one way to look at it. It was good though. I mean, yeah. it definitely shaped a huge part of my life. So it was nice. That's awesome. Um, and I appreciate it ever since. Plus I met my wife and, you know, can't argue about that. Can't Sounds complain right. about that. Uh, so what are we going to be talking about today? I was hoping we could talk about horseback riding. Horseback riding. That was something that has been a huge part of my life for a long time, and I thought that that would be fun to talk about. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so I only know a little bit about horse, horse, horseback riding, horse riding. Either one. In the States, we tend to say horseback riding, but um, from what I understand, the Brits make fun of us for it because they're like, where else would you ride the horse? Like, it's not, You're not going to sit on its head. <laughs> I mean, that's one way to do it. Yeah. In the UK, they say horse riding. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't really care what people in the UK judging us about <laughs> language shifts is a natural thing. That's just going to happen. That's right. Um, Denver, you tell them. I got a whole podcast episode on that. We can go back to that too with Gabby. Um, anyway, enough self-promotion. So <laughs> um, great. So why don't you tell me how you got into horseback riding? Um, I was one of those kids who loved, you know, doing trail rides every now and then when we would vacation and see my mom's family in the summer in Wisconsin, mm -hmm. there was a woman who owned some horses there and she would take us out on trail rides. So I never had any formal instruction as a kid. Uh, but after I think our third baby was born, my husband and I were thinking, you know, let's, 
let's break away from the constant parenting cycle and do something <laughs> for ourselves. And the way I decided to do that was to take horseback riding lessons. So yeah. um, a friend and I enrolled in a nearby stable and started taking English lessons. Um, and I did that for seven and a half years continuously with weekly lessons, sometimes wow. twice a week. And uh, absolutely loved it. And then after a while, started teaching as well. So I taught beginning mm-hmm. um, English and Western writing. Yeah. Has been well established. You like teaching. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's great. I can think of four horse related things for me, and I'm just going to say them all right now. I lived next to a horse farm growing up for a couple of years. Cool. Um, in high school, I dated a girl who I think could be described as like a horse girl. We, mm-hmm. we would go to competitions. Oh, yeah. She would go and I would watch. Um, yeah. I think now she's a, she does like physical therapy or psychology, something like that with horses as a okay. training method. So I don't, I don't know too much about it. Um, what else? Oh, well, when my wife and I went to Las Vegas, we rode a horse um, around the desert for a few minutes. <laughs> that was about it. Um, oh, and then I have another friend who bought a horse. Yeah, after they after they finish their riding careers, a lot of horses. That's what happens. Is they become like they have that ultimate horse life. They get to be like pasture ornaments. We call them. And oh yeah, you now graze and have fun and not worry about fulfilling any work obligations to anybody. And that's I'm sure that horse is very happy. It's good life. Yeah. What if they? What if the horse? I guess I was gonna say, what if the horse liked running? But I'm sure they could still run. They could still do and it. And now there's probably less stress. <laughs> I imagine. You don't have a, a guy on top of you. Hit. Do they whip the horse to make him go Not faster? Not the good riders. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. that, that's, no. I would hope not. That's good. Yeah. Um, all right. So tell me a little bit about what you've learned while horse riding, horseback riding for seven years. Oh, gosh. There's so much. Um, I, know, I know nothing about actually riding. I rode the horse once, and it was like, another like really old super docile horse that um i was not particularly worried of worried about yeah no i mean that's what you want right you want you want to to feel confident when you're riding but um what have i learned um i've taken lessons in both english and western writing so english writing is what you what's the difference here well the english writing would be more what you think of when you think of like Olympic equestrian events. So Mm. jumping Mm. over fences, um, dressage, which is uh, a classical (laughs) way of riding. One of the only horse terms. Oh my God. I completely forgot. So in the high school, I liked this girl who was into like 4-H stuff. And so for a summer or so I did judging like animal judging. And it was mostly, I focused on horses and how did I completely forgot (laughs) I'd focus on horses for all that time. (laughs) You just said dressage. I was like, that was one of the only horse terms I know. And I was like, wait, no, I know some more. There's like geldings and palominos. Yeah. um, So did you judge confirmation, like body shape and stuff like that? Yeah. I I mean, that is the appearance I gave. I could not say if I was doing (laughs) it correctly or not. In fact, I can almost guarantee it was not done correctly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, we would go to like, I, I remember like taking road trips to Texas and stuff so that we could do the judging, which it just seems so weird. It was mostly about talking than actual horse judging, I felt. Wow. 
Um, we'll get you. You're the expert. I should be interviewing you. No, that was one summer about <laughs> 17 years ago. <laughs> um, and I don't remember any of it. Yeah. I remember I had to buy boots. That was a more meaningful or like impactful thing for me. All right. Sorry. So you said you did English and it was English. like dressage. Dressage, um, some jumping. Um and all of that, uh, English writing is very beautiful and very structured and um, very that formal. That is how the English likes to do things. Yeah, right? And I loved it. And it was excellent training in how to sit a horse and, like, find your balance and communicate. Um, and mm-hmm. when I switched to Western writing with more of an emphasis on, um, oh, in particular, like, I was interested in um, there's something called fence work where if you're trying to, or, um, sorting, if you're trying to separate one calf or cow from a herd of cattle, you need to walk in real calmly on your horse into the herd and then maneuver your horse to get and get between the, the lone cow and the rest of them, and then keep maneuvering to keep it separated so that you do that to, um, check its health or if it, mm, yeah. you know, if it needed medical attention so that you could, have the vet come over. Um, so it's not just done for sport and competition, but there's like a practical ranching purpose for it. This so was the I, English or this is Western. Yeah. Oh, got it. Western. Yeah. This is Western. So makes sense. Um, yeah. Once, once I switched to Western, that was kind of what I was really interested in learning how to do, which was like work around cattle and, um, and you, the saddles are, of course, the equipment is different and the horses, respond to different cues. So you kind of have to shift your mindset a little, but, um, at the same time, everything that I learned as an English writer about, about communicating with my partner, my horse, I I was able to carry over into Western writing. So that part was really cool Mm -hmm. that it all kind of translated. Yeah. This sounds a little bit to me, um, how I often think about swing dancing. Mm Mm-hmm. Because uh, one of my friends, he does ballroom. I guess I have several friends who do ballroom. And it's all very sort of like upright and rigid and follows very particular rules. Yep. And there are rules in Lindy Hop, which we did. But yep. for uh, for a lot of it, it is much more – I mean, I'm not a particular like, expert on Lindy Hop or anything, but it's a lot more freestyle – you you make up moves and, and patterns as you go. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of improvisation and on the fly kind of responding to things. I think mm-hmm. that's a pretty good comparison. I would think that's pretty apt. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea much better. I don't like rules, man. <laughs> there was a reason why I never took to West Coast Swing, you know? Like I love watching yeah. it. It's beautiful, but I something about my body just rebels against <laughs> that, that posture and that like bounciness and I don't, it just doesn't work for me. It's sad. Cause I think my posture lends itself to West coast better, but my, my personal temperament doesn't. <laughs> um, all right. That will be confusing for anyone who doesn't know about dancing, um, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, we can talk about horses some more. So <laughs> one thing that we had, I think talked about a little bit when we started the idea of, talking up for the podcast um, was the difference between a relationship with a horse and the relationship with like cats and dogs, which are people are more like, you know, you're more familiar with pets. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and people tend to think of horses as just really big dogs, but right. because cats and dogs are predator animals and horses are naturally prey animals, just kind of the way they've evolved. Um, the relationship is really very different. Um, a horse is always going to want to run away if there's a problem rather than put up a fight first thing. So the Mm -hmm. flight response is really well ingrained and that's where some of the risk of equine sports comes in because if you have a horse that's nervous or scared or startled, they're going to bolt. And if you're on and not steady, I mean, that's, that's a huge risk of injury. So, um, you have to really kind of put yourself in the mindset of the animal in order to understand it and form a relationship with it. Cause we're so used to, you know, humans kind of at the top of the food chain, we act like predators and we have to make sure that we're communicating clearly with a prey animal in a way that's not threatening to make that relationship work. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause like, I don't know the way you play with a dog would be very different than how you play with like a bunny rabbit or something. That's right. Um, which would probably be more like a horse. Yep. Absolutely. Hmm. I mean, they're like 1200 pound animals. You don't think of them as being easily frightened, but, um, I have a friend who got kicked in the face, had to have facial reconstruction surgery. Oh my gosh. Um, It was really bad. So you got to be careful around these things. These, these are not just toys. I mean, they're not toys to be played with. They're like quarter ton animals. So be very careful. Yep. Um, this is why I'm very glad that they had a docile one that I got to ride and it was just following the one Aurora, which was following the one in front of it. Yep. Big fan of that type of relationship. You know, though, there, there's something else about that. You mentioned a docile horse that follows the horse in front of it. So because mm-hmm. they're herd animals, if the horse in front of yours had become startled or afraid, or if a dog had jumped out, you know, and, and felt threatened and it took off, even if your horse hadn't been threatened, it might have mirrored the behavior of the horse in front of it. Right. So docility can be, um, kind of misleading with horses because if they're not really connected to you and responding to your cues, then you have even less control over what they are responding to. And they may, they're going to respond to their herd. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That makes sense because of, you know, them, how they evolved, I guess. I did do a little bit of research into uh, horseback riding and where it came from. Apparently, horses uh, were first probably domesticated in Eurasia. You heard about this? And what is currently Ukraine? Okay. Um, and they actually were not necessarily starting as uh, horseback riding. They were mostly used for food. Ooh, okay. Um, and then they were also used for like finding plants. They're really good at finding plants in the snow and the step. Makes um, sense. So yeah, that's how, that's how they started. And then I guess we started breeding them some more. And then when is it about, what was it? About 5,000 BC. It was either 5,000 BC or 5,000 years ago. That was whenever <laughs> people started leaving that region. And then, um, they found like horse fragments and bones everywhere along with the people. So oh, wow. um, they definitely like went along together. Yeah. Um, but it was only about 2000, it was about 2000 BC that the, they started having like some art or stories about how people would joyride on the horses Okay. and like, they just jump on the back of it 
you know, creep up on it very slowly. And it was more like bull riding, how we think of it now, where you just right. jump on and hold on as long as you can. Yeah. <laughs> um, which sounds terrifying. I, we just talked about how they can kill people. Um, but I guess when it's 4,000 years ago, you, there's not really much else going on. You can't just hop on Netflix. None of the internet was crap back then. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't until, let's see, about 800 BC to 500 BC that they were used in combat. Okay. Um, actually, I think being ridden in combat. So somewhere between 2000 BC and 800 BC, they like did chariots and had them pulling along. Yeah. What is, I guess the chariot. And then finally they started riding them. It took a long time. Um, but yeah, they've been with us for a long time. Okay, so here's a neat tie-in to what you just said. Um, once horses were started um, to be ridden in battle, the people who were riding them needed a way to control their movements without using their, their reins and their hands because they were busy with swords and other weapons, right. right? So mm-hmm. that's where dressage originated. It originated as a way of controlling a horse in battle and having your horse mm. respond to what you call your leg aids and your seat aids. So the way you sit, the way you shift your weight, the way you move your legs against the horse's side should yield different uh, behaviors from your horse if it's classically Mm. trained. So um, I think it was the German methods that became the most famous. Um, To this day, a lot of the leading dressage instructors are um, come out of German riding schools. So. so yeah, that dressage, it, it comes from everything you're talking about. I mean, that it was born from a necessity of being able to control your horse without your hands. Cool. Does it work uh, like I would intuitively think where like if I move my feet backwards, it'll go backwards. I just imagine one leg forward and one leg back makes it go in a circle or something. Does it, <laughs> you know does it what? do that at all? There, There is some connection there because um, as you're sitting astride your horse properly, your legs kind of hang at a balance point. And if you want to control their shoulders and front end, you would shift your legs and heels a little bit forward to do that. And if you want to control their hind end or their hips, you'd have to shift back a little bit to do that. But um, I wish it was as intuitive as just like, and just kind of moving <laughs> them in a circle. But there, yeah. there's an element of that, yeah. And how... Okay, I've seen videos of just the horses doing the little tippity tippity t- steps. <laughs> what is that about? Why is that a thing? Again, if you imagine <laughs> taking a horse into battle, and um, if you wanted to get yourself above the reach of swordsmen on the ground, for example, mm-hmm. you might want your horse to rear up on its hind legs. I believe that's called a piaf. I don't know what the actual technical term is, but. Yeah. So all of those dressage movements had some kind of um, wartime Battle. equivalent necessity, which yeah. is interesting. So, uh, so yeah, sidestepping. If you, if there was a way that you were trying to be away from an opponent on your side, you can get the horse to laterally move, like diagonally with their legs. Right. All of that stuff was born out of necessity. Yeah, it's not just because we like making horses dance. It's right. It's because we're. <laughs> Using the horse as a tool, yeah, almost an invention, um, and you you need to be able to do things with it. Yep. What started first, that type of? I mean, yeah, you might not know uh, that type of thing, or like the Western workhorse type techniques. 
Um, I mean, I don't know. I there's there might I hear have been Western, some... and I think Western United States, right? And that sort of implies modernity because there were no yeah. horses here. At least there were horses in the Americas before humans ever got here, like the Native right. Americans. But they've right. been extinct then, a long time ago. But then they were first um, domesticated by you know the Native American tribes and the indigenous people, right? And, um, Once they, they escaped from the European exactly, and they had gone wild in in groups and herds, and so yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there was some influence in terms of there may have been more formality for a longer period of time in mm-hmm. dressage training and kind of the English riding methods, but it's not like the Native Americans ever saw anybody do that. I mean, they learned how to <laughs> control horses. And ride them and get them to do what Their they needed way. kind of yeah. independently. So I really don't know. That would be a fascinating comparison to make. Or I wonder if like, so based on what you said, you might not be saying this, but I sort of implied, I sort of interpreted it as like Western, maybe descended from Native American ways of horse riding, or it's probably all the above. Western. I think, it, I think it's all of the above. When yeah. it's working, it's whatever works is what yeah. works. Right. That's what you do. And I don't know enough to say whether it it descended from it directly or not. But no. um, like I said, that would be a fascinating line of study. That would be really cool. I bet somebody's done that work before. We just have to look it up and find it. Yeah. That's cool. Um, at one point, I would just want to give a shout out to the Mongols. I don't know if anybody has ever watched Crash Course, Crash Course World History, but... Every single episode, they talk about how every nation in the world throughout history has done it this way, except the Mongols, because the <laughs> Mongols always, every episode, did something, did it differently. <laughs> they were completely unique. And one of the things that they super good at was uh, horseback riding and um, managed to just take over so much of the world because they were, I don't know if they were one of the first ones, but they were definitely the most effective ones at utilizing horses particularly with uh their archery those people like you said were probably very good at controlling their horses with just their legs because you need both your bow both of your arms to arch appropriately (laughs) and you know what if i take nothing else away from this evening together i'm going to (laughs) remember the phrase shout out to the mongols because that's not something i've heard said before Oh man, anybody listening should go listen to Crash Course World History with John now. Green. Yeah. He's a he's an author and has a YouTube channel with his brother, but um very good. Uh they have crash courses on anything. Um but I'm not here to promote them. They have enough promotion. <laughs> um so I think what I'm kind of interested in is maybe like some specifics about things you've learned like if i happen to turn on the olympics or something and i see a horse contest like how do i know enough to to judge it i guess a little bit kind of like how everyone's like oh when i'm watching the divers i just i know to watch for the tiny splash like what's the equivalent of that okay well that's a good point uh let's see so the three things you're likely to see are going to be especially with the olympics are going to be um Show jumping, so which is jumping in the rings with the gates that are set up kind of in a certain pattern. That's, that's show like jumping. where they jump over the bars? Yes, yeah. And you don't want to knock them down, yeah. Yeah. So that's one that. thing. And then dressage, where they're riding these careful steps that the horses have to do um, 
into different patterns in an open, unadorned arena. So that's mm-hmm. called flat work or dressage work. And then cross-country work where um, in a show jumping ring, the jumps can all tip out of the little cups that hold them there. So there's a there's an element of um, kind of a safety net. But right. on a cross-country course... You don't want to course, hit it and have the whole horse, horse fall over. Right. So on the, on the cross-country course, those are all fixed jumps. So oh. um, it's where an accident riding could have the most deadly consequences because if you have what you call a rotational fall where the horse's front legs are trapped and it goes kind of over, then the rider's kind of stuck in that tumble. Oh, um, yeah. So, yeah, any... <laughs> I didn't realize me, you were getting into NASCAR as well. I know. People just watch it for accidents. I know. It's scary. Yeah. Um, like so, so wait, you're going to be watching show jumping, dressage, or cross country. And um, what about barrels? Is that a thing? I, I vaguely remember barrels from something. Yeah, that's, the, that's more of a rodeo thing for Western riding, right? So, that would be a Western competition. So, that would be barrel racing, um, roping. Um, I don't know, there's so many different raining where you're riding patterns and trail work and mm-hmm. the list goes on and on. But what you want to see is a rider who looks calm and balanced. You want to see a horse that looks happy and alert. Um, mm-hmm. You don't want to see um, jerky, tense movements ever from a horse or a rider, because that means somebody's not in sync with somebody else. They're not communicating very well. Right. Um, and especially for show jumping and cross country work, you want to see that when a rider and horse go over a jump, the rider is moving his or her body to get out of the horse's way. So when I say that, I mean, we're taught as we jump, as a horse approaches an obstacle, we prepare ourselves by sitting centered. And then as the horse lifts its legs, you kind of stand up and forward a little bit out of the saddle so the horse can move its body without you hindering it. Mm -hmm. And then you want to be over its shoulders for a split second, but then kind of rising back as it comes down to sit down in a balanced way. It's really easy to get off balance. Um, It's almost like your torso is kind of staying straight up and down while the horse is, I mean, if you can imagine it jumping over, it's tipping and like teeter tottering almost. Yep. And you have a lot of work to do through your lower body and core. Uh, do you to have to, to sorry. No, I'm just, it's, it's not, it's, it looks easy when it's done right. Just like anything, right? Like swing dancing, like anything, like rock climbing. Yeah. Um, the better you are, the easier it looks. But uh, So when you do that and the horse jumps over, are you, my first instinct would be that you're just trying to balance purely on the stirrups, I think it's called, right? Yeah. Um, you're balancing on the stirrups. Oh, I think that might be what the Mongols did. They invented Maybe stirrups? Not. Maybe not. Um, that might be why, but I don't know. Um, so are you actually tipping yourself forward and back to match that? Or does it sort of just happen naturally as the horse and gravity? It never happens job? naturally um, unless you assist it. So um, mm-hmm. you have to stand up in the stirrups a little bit to make that happen. So. Yeah. At the point of the, especially the big jumps, um, you're losing contact with the horse and your balance has to be really good through your core and through your lower body and with your feet in the stirrups. So you'll hear a lot of riders yell heels down to each other because Mm -hmm. if you're in a stirrup and your foot's in it and your heel isn't sunk, 
you have a real tendency to your foot to slide all the way through. And so you um, want to keep your weight kind of back so that you still have more ability to control the rest of your body through that sunken heel. So yeah, you want to see heels down. You don't want to see toes down ever. Um, you want to see, see I would have thought it was the other way around. I don't know. Just know. the way that the heel, like the high heel is made, you would have thought toes down would have made the stirrup sit in that part of the heel. But Well, the heel is there to hopefully catch the stirrup if you're ever sliding through. Like they oh, don't okay. want you to put a whole foot through, fall off, and get dragged. Yeah. It's there for a backup, not as yes. the primary. It's just okay. the safety net. Yeah. Um, and now in fact, women have most to walk around in them. schools, <laughs> most classes won't allow you to take English lessons if you don't have a boot without like a slate half inch or quarter inch heel because oh, you yeah. need some. I could imagine there. if your foot and ankle went through the stirrup, that would be That's bad. bad news. Yeah. I never thought of that before. That sounds terrible. And one, you know, one of the ways that riders are taught at the upper level, even at the beginner levels, to find their balance appropriately is to ride mm. without stirrups, which is tremendously terrifying if you're new. Then yeah. you're, you've learned to kind of really rely on your weight and your feet. Um, they want you to find a balance point in your own body on the horse's back. And that kind of happens through your lower body. So they want you to do it without kind of the crutch of the stirrups. But everybody does know there's a, a school of thought that's called no stirrup November, where all lessons in November <laughs> just don't have stirrups just to make sure that everybody gets exposure to that. But yeah. Yeah. Doing it back how they did it five, 2,000 years ago. That's 2000, right. 4,000 right. years ago in 2000 BC. On the plains and on the steps, right? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds... Fun and terrifying to me, yeah. honestly. Yeah, pretty much. All right, cool. So you also mentioned earlier that you do some sort of competitions with uh, your horseback riding. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. On a couple of different occasions, um, I competed in just you know smaller local shows. I didn't feel like I was prepared for big horse shows because they can get very big and very yeah um, glitzy, I guess. The is rodeo one in Houston is massive. Oh, my gosh, right? Um, but anyway, I competed in uh, Western dressage in one instance, and then I competed in trail riding in another. So in trail riding, you're competing and doing tasks on your horse that a rancher might have to do on any given day at work. For example, a trail pattern may have gate opening. You ride your horse up to a gate, you lean down and unlatch it, you maneuver your horse to push or pull the gate out of the way, turn your horse around, latch it again when you're on the other side. Right. So I never even realized how, like at my house, I click a button and it'll open automatically. <laughs> I don't, I've completely forgotten how difficult it would actually be to do such a thing. Right. While controlling a half ton animal. That sounds, yeah. It so, seems so simple, but no, it's yeah, not. You're, sorry, you're, go on. It's one of those things that you, you don't think about, you know, because we live in this automated world, but um, a trail riding pattern may have an element of dismounting, taking mm -hmm. off your horse's bit and bridle, like they're, everything that they're wearing, and then having them stand still and then put it back on again to kind of show that your horse is uh, willing to be by you, isn't being coerced to be by you, has been trained to stand still for that kind of work. Why would you do that? 
Um, if there was, if you were camping, if you were out on a trail and you were following a herd, right. And, and you mm. had to spend the night somewhere, you'd want to secure your horse in an area and remove their headgear and bridle and bit so yeah. that they could graze. Cause they can't really graze with the bit in their mouth. Make, makes sense. So, um, there are loading obstacles where you might have to get your horse to load onto a trailer and off again. There mm. are obstacles that involve going over poles or over um, fallen logs or something. Fallen logs or bridges or things like that, coaxing them into situations where they might not necessarily want to do it, but it's necessary to get through the trail. Right. Um, so in a competition, the trail is the pattern is kind of set and the competitors all have to do the same tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, they might involve roping. They might involve dragging a log, <laughs> like <laughs> hitching it to your saddle horn and having your horse walk to pull it, which is yeah. a whole different kind of weight on the horse than um, that it's used right. to having. Right. So um, there's just all kinds of things, and it's fascinating to watch some of the the really well trained horses do all that work. But um, yeah. it's neat too for those of us who have only ridden in lessons, like me. I, I've never worked on a ranch. Right. Um, to kind of envision having to be able to adjust to those kinds of tasks on the fly. I think that's fascinating. So that was a lot of fun. It taught me a lot. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I can't even, yeah, I can't even imagine what all that would be like. Or like if, uh, how to say, I always have this idea. I think a lot of people do of like, if society falls apart, how are we going to survive? And it's like, we, so many people would have to just, reinvent horseback riding because everyone has forgotten. I guess not everyone, but a lot of people have forgotten it. Yeah. And what access do we have to horses in our daily life? You know, yeah. those of us in the suburbs and in cities, very little. (laughs) So for sure, that's a conversation. That's a whole nother podcast. I'm sure what would happen (laughs) if society collapsed? (laughs) Yeah. I would love to be. Well, your girl would be hungry because I don't garden and I don't hunt. (laughs) Yep. I can maybe weave. Not really. All right, cool. So um, the next section I wanted to ask about uh, like super basic beginner's person's advice. So like if we're walking down the street and you see a a policeman, police officer on a horse, how should you interact with that horse? My first guess is don't, don't mess with the horse, obviously. Or like if there's one of those, (laughs) one of those people who are what are the horse carriages that are pulling along? Yeah. Probably don't mess with those horses. Yeah. Uh, mostly cause like while people are working, you shouldn't bother them. And the horses right. are kind of working. Don't bother they're, a horse while it's working. They're like service animals, right? They always say with uh, drug sniffing dogs or canine police units or service animals supporting people with disabilities. If you, if they're working, right. you don't want to interrupt them and, and distract them from what could be life saving situations that they're in so same goes for horses you know if they're harnessed up and under somebody's direction yeah stay out of their way (laughs) and ask before you do anything like even try to pet them yeah obviously yeah i wouldn't even get too close especially coming from behind or anything like that yeah um so but that was to lead into like what if i am camping or hiking through the woods and i see a oh maybe a wild horse or maybe a horse that is unaccompanied. Yeah. Um, what is the best thing to do? Um, I still think it's probably to stay away. I think you're probably right. You can't <laughs> go wrong by just, you know, 
thinking to yourself, let's not mess with this animal. It's not um, like again, a bear running away. It's not going to chase you. <laughs> I think it would be highly unlikely for any person to come upon, first of all, a lone horse. Right. There you two, that was groups. unaware that you were there before you were aware that it was there. Right. Cause they're mm. again, as a prey animal, they're going to scent you. They're going to hear you. They, they're the going points. to be making their, they're taking every step to avoid you that they want to take. So there's a reason we don't stumble across deer very often. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Even when we're out walking in fields, because they're just better at sensing us than we are them mm-hmm. and they stay out of the way. But yeah, as a rule, if you don't want to get hurt, you stay out of its way, you move slowly, you don't make any sudden movements. Um, so I should not just like run up to it and try and mount it like they <laughs> used to do. <laughs> You know what? You're saying that's bad advice. There was there was a TV show for a while uh, <laughs> where people did stuff like that. I think it was called Jackass for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. No. You shouldn't do any of those things. Don't do any of those things. Got it. Just <laughs> just had to make it clear for any potential listeners out there who are getting ideas. Very smart. But you know, <clears throat> if you are considering taking writing lessons or visiting a friend who. Uh, who had horses on their property. Uh, the important thing is to remember that this horse is watching you to see if you're a threat. Mm-hmm. And so I try to keep my body language soft and natural, nothing jerky. I don't raise my arms above my head. That's That can be very alarming to a horse. <laughs> my first so, thought was, oh, can I wave at the horse? I don't actually know that that's yeah, a good no, idea. I mean, they tend not to like that. Um, the last thing you want to do is spook them. Steep so. bow, like from a Western Eastern culture that might be a good idea. Uh, and nice and slow too. Yeah. Nice and slow. They love apples, right? You just put the apple down, walk away. Most horses do. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Apples and carrots. Apparently the only actual good use for a red delicious apple. Cause yeah, otherwise you know they nasty. You're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they got that name. I don't know. Marketing. <laughs> Someone did a good job there. Um, excellent. So now I feel like whenever I come across a horse, I should be adequately prepared. I should talk to my kids about this because, you know, you got to be ready. Um, but yeah, why don't you just wrap up with a little bit about like what I'm trying to find the way to phrase it. Like, why do you find horse horses so special? Why do you like horseback riding? Um, I think you know what I'm trying to get at. Sure, yeah, no. Um, one of the things that I love about riding is that there is no horse out there who would have to allow it. You know what I mean? It's a 1,200 to 1,500-pound animal <laughs> um, with plenty of ways to move away quickly, uh, tump you off, you know, either by rearing mm-hmm. or bucking or something. There's no reason why a horse should have to allow this except for the fact that you have a connection. And so it feels like a very, um, it's a a relationship that has a lot of grace in it to me. So uh, if a horse allows me to be a rider, then I have a responsibility then to look out for the horse's safety as well as my own while we're riding, keep it out of dangerous situations, um, look out for its comfort and health, not ride too long in the heat, you know, not ride too long in the cold, and make sure it's cared for before and after the ride. So I think there's, there's a huge um, 
obligation from that sense of grace that a horse offers you. I think it's so beautiful. And so much of it, well, all of your communication really with a horse is nonverbal. We talk to our cats and dogs all the time and they Mm -hmm. understand some words. There's research out there on what they do understand, but so much with a horse is with your body. You know, the way you sit, the way you hold yourself, they can feel your tension. Um, They say even through a saddle, they can feel you shift your weight a little bit. So they're so sensitive as animals. And I think it's really beautiful that, uh, that we are able to achieve so much together with these animals who would not have to allow us to work with them. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense to me. All right. Well, that sounds great. And thank you so much for sharing your story about horses and horseback riding with us. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad that we got to do this. All right. uh, Thank you for being on my podcast. Thank you, Denver. It was nice talking to you.